On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we discuss Cristiano Ronaldo's recent COVID-19 diagnosis, and another chapter is written in soccer's biggest what-could-have-been story. Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark and I am finally once again joined by Marcus uh, back from his international break. No, I think it was probably not international given the current state of the world, Marcus, but good to have you back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Did you hear uh, what happened while I was gone? Um, national teams played each other? What happened? No, I got <laughs> engaged. You what you did? <laughs> no, no I'm just you kidding. didn't. I'm no. Just kidding, <laughs> no, I didn't. Um, oh my! God. I can't believe I fell for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I channeled my inner Mark and uh, pulled the same <laughs> thing. No, there was no engagement. I uh, just hung out in the Boston area. Um, not too much to report. Staycation. Yeah, just just a, a little rest. Well, that's nice. Uh, a lot of soccer players around the world got some rest over the weekend, but the more high-profile players were very busy flying across the world to participate in various international matches, uh, most of which were in Europe, but South America got his World Cup qualifying underway. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But the biggest news of the past week in the soccer world, obviously, is Cristiano Ronaldo testing positive for coronavirus. Um, I think it's safe to say that he is the highest profile athlete to test positive. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's, 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 we were talking, Marcus, it's, what, what is there to really say about, you know, various athletes when they test positive? And we haven't talked about it too much, but now that it's Ronaldo, um, it seems like, you know, it kind of needs to be discussed in a little more detail. Uh, the good news is that he's asymptomatic. Uh, seems to be in good spirits. He posted a picture of himself watching Portugal's latest match that he, um, you know, was not able to participate in. And uh, he's returned to Italy to, uh, you know, complete his recovery. Um, but, yeah, Marcus, I mean – you know, what is the impact of Ronaldo, you know, testing positive? Well, he's one of those uh, rare athletes where, uh, you know, you said he's probably the highest profile athlete to test positive. Uh, he's the highest profile athlete uh, globally with yeah. a social media following that's, um, I don't know, is it 100 million or more, maybe? Um, he's probably the highest profile person to test positive other than, U.S. President Donald Trump, um, right. and yeah, he. Uh, I think it's a good look at you know. The, this is a theme that's going to come up during our discussions, but there's no hiding from coronavirus. There's no, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. He tested positive. Two of his uh, Portugal teammates had tested positive last week. Uh, and then he tested positive on, uh, I think that was Monday, and um, none of his other teammates have tested positive since. So, uh, you know, these national teams and big clubs, they're 
they're testing their players. Uh, it seems like every day, um, you know, they're being as uh, safe and cautious as possible. But still, even somebody like Ronaldo is not uh, is not immune to it. Yeah. Um, you know, it was really interesting just to see the reaction to it, where every media organization on, uh, I would say, on planet Earth in every language, um, yeah. you know, is this is news to them because he is uh, arguably, I mean, he's not arguably, he is the highest profile soccer player um, or the highest profile athlete to test positive. But the good news is that uh, he's okay. Looks like he's going to quarantine. He flew back from uh, Portugal's training center to uh, Juventus in, they called it an air ambulance, but it was a private jet. (laughs) <laughs> I had a uh, look like a hospital bed, a gurney in it. Um, I'm not sure he needed that because yeah. he seemed to be uh, in good health and good spirits. He was asymptomatic, but yeah, they're um, they're they're putting out all the stop, pulling out all the stops, and taking all the precautions necessary to get Ronaldo back on the field uh, as soon as possible. Uh, one thing that I, I thought was pretty interesting is that the moment Portugal announced he had tested positive their stock dropped to a six-month low. Um, it was 2.22%. Uh, it quickly recovered, but, you know, yeah. it just shows that these, uh, you know, Ronaldo's health and well-being is big business in itself. Uh, right. So he'll probably miss uh, this Saturday's Serie A, Serie A game versus, forgive me if I mispronounce it. Crotone. Crotone. Uh, Juventus' Champions League opener against... Dinamo Kiev on the 20th. Uh, the big question is, will he return in time to face Barcelona and Real, uh, sorry, and Lionel Messi on October the 28th? UEFA announced yesterday that if he returns a negative test uh, at least seven days prior to that game, that would be the 21st. Uh, let me just bring up my calendar. That's Wednesday. Uh, if he returns a negative test, on uh, Wednesday, on or before Wednesday, he'll be eligible to play. Um, oh, I would wow. be surprised if he didn't. Um, I can't believe that that's – I mean, that seems like it's kind of far out to be the deadline of a full week um, in front of the match. Because, uh, I mean, I thought it was just kind of quarantine for two weeks. And obviously you have to test negative, but – um, or two weeks since you're negative. I, I don't know. Uh, well, as you know, the quarantine rules differ by, uh, by country. Sure. Yeah. Um, they might differ by city and region in some countries. So uh, that's just what UEFA established. And I would expect Ronaldo to be back just because of the um, one, his good health and also the global interest in that October 28th game against uh, Barcelona yeah. and, you know, rekindling his rivalry with Lionel Messi. Yeah. And it, it does seem to be kind of enough time for, uh, you know, his body to kind of fight the virus and get it out of his system. Um, and, uh, you know, in theory, I'm sure uh, Ronaldo would have been playing in the matches that he's missing, but like, a, a match versus Crotone is kind of one that you might suspect him to miss, especially with a Champions League match coming up in the in the midweek. 
Um, and then in addition, I think until they play Barcelona, Juventus probably won't have much trouble with anybody they're facing in the next uh, two weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's kind of a, at this point, a big list of high profile players to test positive, uh, including Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, Paul Pogba, Paulo Dybala, Angel de Maria, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Diego Costa, um, and more. Uh, and, you know, we were talking, Marcus, for the most part, I haven't heard anything about anybody I just mentioned feeling symptoms. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of falls in line with what we uh, seem to know about the virus, that if you are young and in good health, then this shouldn't be much of a problem for you unless there's kind of uh, really unique circumstances. And we were saying the only athlete that we can think of, professional athlete, it, that has contracted the virus and has had complications from it was Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, and we're not going to go deep on him, but just uh, it seems to be kind of the soccer players contract the virus, they go into quarantine, they miss two weeks and miss two or three matches, and then they're back. And it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Um, is soccer kind of playing with fire like UEFA like having you know just the collective soccer world like you think even about this past two weeks like the international break having Lionel Messi and Neymar fly from Europe to South America to play these World Cup qualifiers um is it playing with fire or you know I mean what, what's your just kind of like when he's taking it all in from a big picture perspective what, what does your mind go to? Well, it, you know, what uh, I like to contrast them to, uh, let's say, us, you know, regular people, yeah. um, these athletes, especially the ones that play for big European clubs or play for their national teams, uh, they're healthy, they're strong, um, they receive excellent health care, uh, you know, they're tested for all sorts of conditions and ailments. Um, you know, these aren't your average citizens just flying around the world who could be spreading the virus, could be more susceptible to catching it. Um, so to answer your question, you know, is FIFA or the uh, Confederations playing with fire? Uh, I don't think so. And that's because of the excellent health care that uh, these athletes have been receiving even before the pandemic. I mean, yeah. when you show up for preseason, they run you through a battery of tests where they're usually going to catch things. Uh, you know, if they'll do your blood work and, you know, we take uh, annual physicals. These guys are having them, you know, if they're going to have a transfer, if they're going to transfer, you need to take a physical. You need to, I mean, the, these, yeah. these players are uh, the, the, level of healthcare that they're receiving, I think it really reduces the risk of, uh, you know, sort of catastrophic outcomes from catching this virus. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, to answer your question, are they playing with fire? I don't think so. But this also shows that nobody, not even Cristiano Ronaldo, who, uh, you know, he lives in 
lives in a mansion. He plays for Juventus to have some of the finest medical facilities in the world. Uh, he vacations on a yacht uh, with his family and very close, tight circle of friends. He's not out, not out in the clubs, not usually mingling with crowds. Uh, even somebody like him can still catch coronavirus. So mask up, wash your hands, um, mm-hmm. because nobody is, uh, th- this virus can catch anybody, I guess, that is not on the uh, International Space Station or something like that. Yeah, and so like kind of the last thing I'm wondering about here is um, when there are outbreaks on a team, um, we saw this, I think the first, I guess, team to get an outbreak was PSG. And uh, Lee Goon basically told them to, you know, play whoever you have available. They, no games were rescheduled, I'm pretty sure. And they had like uh, match, uh, a lot of matches in like, I think they had like four matches in like two weeks and they dropped a couple that uh, you might not expect PSG to drop. Um, you know, if they had Neymar and Mbappe in the lineup. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I mean, the games were played and, you know, PSG moved on, the players moved on and soccer moved on. Um, but then in the U S the Colorado Rapids of MLS have had an outbreak um, so, you know, what do you think is kind of going on with that? And, uh, do you see much of a difference in how MLS is handling it and how we saw like the situation with PSG develop? No, I think, um, you know, we're starting to see sort of common threads around the world, which is when, uh, somebody tests positive, you know, they isolate and, uh, you test everybody that was close to them and you know if you have more than x number of positive tests you shut down the facilities they clean them um the rapids outbreak i think it was five players and something like 12 staff members so that's a significant one and you know they've postponed or rescheduled three four five of their games now um it's it's just something that we all are we're, we're all living through it and it really depends on your proximity to uh, the virus or uh, whether you, you know, whether you've been in close contact with uh, somebody or a number of people who have, uh, who have caught it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give any sort of super strong opinions on this. I like, it's hard to even wrap your head around like how you might feel about it, but for the most part, and, this kind of goes beyond soccer to all sports. seems like, you know, they're going to try and play. And if somebody gets it, you go into quarantine. And if for, as we discussed earlier, um, there doesn't seem to be much of a true health threat to the players as far as long-term health. Uh, I do kind of, you know, you worry about maybe elderly coaches. And then, of course, um, you know, the – these the families of these people but at the same time it's not like those families are living in some other world i mean they you know they live in the coronavirus world too so they could get it um from any number of places not just from you know their athlete husband or son that comes home from the training facility uh so it's you know there's it seems like there's no right answer and the you know they're just kind of doing their best and um 
you know, soccer is going to, you know, soccer is not going to stop being played. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, doing, you said it well, doing, doing their best and yeah. uh, the games are going on. Yeah. Uh, but okay. Let's, uh, let's move on to something a little more exciting <laughs> and, uh, and uh, happy and, uh, you know, celebrating the history of soccer. Uh, Marcus, I'll give you credit. You brought this to my attention. You, you say you've been on this story for a long time, but Neymar, 28-year-old Neymar, passed Ronaldo as the number two all-time scorer in Brazil's uh, storied soccer history. Not Cristiano Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo. Um, he now trails only Pele as uh, to be the all-time leading scorer in Brazilian soccer history. Um, and yeah, these are international goals, obviously. Uh, so he, Neymar passed Ronaldo with a hat trick versus Peru in World Cup qualifying on Tuesday. Um, and just to kind of like lay out the, the uh, soccer math that we did here, uh, Neymar score, has scored 64 goals past Ronaldo, who had 62. Um, Ronaldo scored his 62 goals in 98 international matches. Neymar has 64 in 103 international matches so far in his career. And Pele had 77 goals in 92 international matches. So obviously Pele's, you know, goals per game ratio is, is going to be the best of all time. Um, obviously a different era. But Neymar, uh, he's only 28. This seems like he will he will break the record. Um, the, it's just a matter of when. And if you look at World Cup qualifying and comma ball right now, there's going to be 16 more matches, and then probably a couple of friendlies before the 2022 World Cup, and then the 2022 World Cup. Um, so what's exciting is that uh, Neymar, if he kind of maintains his form maintains his health and Brazil does well at the 2022 world cup. You would probably assume that Brazil doing well means Neymar has scored some goals. Uh, he could end up breaking Pele's record during the world cup and during the knockout stages of the world cup. Uh, so it's definitely a story to keep an eye on, but um, yeah, Marcus, sorry. I like kind of just laid out all the math there, but what, you know, what does this mean? Well, the, uh, you know, you said at the beginning, I've been tracking the story. I just looked at it. Uh, I've been following this since about April 2015, uh, sort of the uh, Neymar Pele watch. Um, Neymar moving up to number two was significant because, you know, he passed Ronaldo. Uh, one of the all-time greats is an icon, a legend. And seeing the mutual respect between them on uh, both on the field and off it, Neymar, I think when he passed, uh, when he scored his 63rd, he copied Ronaldo's uh, finger-wagging goal celebration, uh, which was great. And then he uh, tweeted out his respect. And then Ronaldo tweeted out a message saying uh, something to the effect of, you know, congratulations to you, um, you know, and to do so with, all the attention and all the pressure uh, that surrounded Neymar. And this Neymar has been, he's 28 now. He's been uh, in the spotlight since he was probably 16 or 17. Um, yeah. 
you know, to really live up to the hype was, um, you know, it's a really impressive feat. So kudos to Neymar. As for him catching Pele, yes, uh, at 0.62 goals per game. You know, we did the math. I think he needs about 23 plus games, which suggests he'll probably do it in or around the uh, Qatar World Cup in 2022. Uh, so that will be uh, exciting. It'll be one of the one of the big storylines to follow. And, you know, is, even if Neymar sets a new record as the uh, top scorer in Brazil men's national team history, he's not going to be Pele because <laughs> Pele's got those three World Cups. Yeah, uh, tough to beat that. Neymar has zero. Uh, it takes me back to 2014 when uh, Neymar broke his back at the, uh, I think it was in the quarterfinals of the 2014 World Cup. Uh, you know, that was really Neymar's chance to, you know, establish a legacy that maybe one day could rival Pele. Uh, the ensuing six years, a lot's happened with Neymar, uh, including, you know, the move to PSG, the Champions League uh, woes. Um, so, yeah, even if Neymar finishes career atop Brazil's all-time scoring list, he's still uh, not going to be either considered nearly as great as Pelé, you know, just not in the same conversation. Um, and you know what? That's, that's okay. You don't have to be the greatest of all time in yeah. order to have uh, the enduring respect of the world. Do you, how aware do you think Neymar is of um, Pelé's? Like, do you think he's thinking the putting the math in his head the way we are, where it's like, okay, 16 comma ball qualifying matches, then, uh, you know, a handful more before we're in the later stages of the World Cup. Like, I can get myself in a position if I continue to play for Brazil. Um, like, I guess my question is, will we run into a situation where Neymar is playing in Brazil matches that he might otherwise have requested not to fly back to Brazil because, hey, Brazil is – X amount of points ahead of everyone else. They've already qualified for the World Cup and there's really no purpose to these matches except that Neymar's trying to score goals. Like, do you think that's going to be something that develops? Uh, before I answer that question, I reject the theory that players will sit out World Cup qualifiers for uh, any reason. Um, but if they've than, already qualified... Uh, it's still. Other, other than injury, uh, World Cup qualifying games are so important. You just... You don't miss them. Uh, you don't opt out of them. Uh, but that being said, would Neymar say maybe take a penalty kick that somebody else might? Um, no, I think Neymar is just focused on scoring goals and winning games. And when, uh, when it's all said and done, he'll sit back and think about his legacy. Um, that's the sense I get among, uh, you know, from the all-time greats. They're not tracking their feats and comparing them to uh, history in real time, but they do know that they are historic players. Um, but I don't think he'll be – it'll be something that he's necessarily pushing to do. Um, right. You know, his compensation uh, that he receives from Brazil isn't tied to, you know, passing Pele or things like that, so – 
Um, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think it's top of his mind, but he he's certainly aware of it. Uh, just judging by his in-game goal celebration, he knew he passed Ronaldo, so he copied Ronaldo's celebration. Um, after the game, he went on and you know went on social media, shouted out Ronaldo. Uh, so yeah, he's certainly aware of it. He knows how far he has to go uh, to catch Pele, but. You know, will will that be his obsession? I I doubt it, but I don't know. Uh-huh. I haven't talked to Neymar. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't return my calls. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, um, okay. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Moving on to a you know someone that maybe let's say didn't live up to the hype. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Freddie Adu has signed with uh, Swedish third division. Austerlin? Austerlin FF. Yeah. So, um, you know, I hadn't heard about Freddie. I hadn't heard Freddie Dew's name for, I think, like a year more years until uh, our guest last week, Grant Wall, brought him up because he's doing a series on him. But, you know, uh, some more news from him this week now. So, Marcus, what do you got for us with this? Yeah, uh, just published this on uh, Nesson.com. Uh, have you read it yet? Or I read everything you write, Marcus. Yeah, I, I doubt <laughs> you've read it uh, to this point. I uh, published it uh, an hour or so ago. Uh, yeah, Freddie Adu joins Austerlin FF. Uh, that's a club that I'd never heard of. Um, I don't follow Sweden's lower leagues uh, closely. But, uh, yeah, he's been out of the game, uh, last played professionally in uh, the – USL with the Las Vegas Lights uh, in 2018. Um, I don't think he's been in MLS since around 2017. He kind of bounced around MLS, uh, certainly bounced around Europe, played in Brazil, uh, and just never stuck anywhere. Um, for the uninitiated, Freddie Adu signed with MLS in 2000, end of 2003 at age 14. Uh, it was roughly a million-dollar deal. Uh, had a multi-million dollar Nike contract, played in MLS. Uh, it's a good player, you know, not, never never like an all-star level or a star, but he was a teenager, went to Europe at age 18 and started a uh, journeyman career. And he's now at his, he's at age 31, he's at his 15th club uh, in the last 17 years. And I guess, um, you know, Freddie Adu is one of my, favorite what could have been stories in sports. Um, and I know Grant Wall and his, uh, and his podcast is going to knock this out of the park, but you know, he was, he was doing commercials with Pele when he was, right. uh, when he was a kid. Um, he signed a, uh, you know, he had endorsements with Gatorade and Nike and uh, before he had ever played professionally, uh, Dax McCarty, longtime MLS star, said Freddie Adu was the best young player he's ever seen by far. Um, but he just did not live up to the hype. Now, the question that Grant Wall is going to answer is why? Um, I have a bit of a theory I've been working on uh, for, for ages, which is that um, not only did Freddie Adu somewhat let himself down, but I think the soccer world uh, failed Freddie Adu as well because 
when a kid comes along, he's that talented, he's got uh, international notoriety at age 14, there is a responsibility to protect him. And yeah. instead of doing that, I think uh, certain people at each step of the way, and they know who they are, try to profit off him and capitalize on him every single step of the way. Um, when you look at 15 clubs in uh, 17 years as a professional and take two of those years off because he was uh, on the shelf, he was coaching and uh, near his hometown in Maryland for the last two years, but it's basically a club a year. Uh, so yeah. the theory that I've been working on was that Freddie Adu, due to his, the hype that surrounded him and the marketing cachet that he has, was always signing contracts that his soccer ability did not warrant. Um, you know, there's, if you pay somebody a million dollars a year, you expect them to produce at a certain amount. And he wasn't able to do that. I think when coaches and clubs, these are institutions, see that certain guys are not producing at the level they're paying them, they do what they can to either make his life a living hell or just push him out. And, you know, I'm sure Freddie has been upfront about his regrets and his own mistakes. Um, but he, you know, where is the protection for somebody who was a kid? Uh, yeah. And then where's the protection for a young man? Uh, instead of seeing dollar signs, I think they saw, uh, they should have seen uh, this person who was talented, maybe wayward, losing his way. Um, of course, Grant Wall is going to dig deeper into this and tell the story far better than I could. But that's my theory. Um, and then there's another aspect of it. Uh, years ago, I read, uh, I guess, reports or stories about the... Um, you can call them fights in the locker room at uh, DC United or maybe on the field. Um, and this is between, this is involving Freddie Adu and grown men, young men in their twenties or thirties. But the fact is, well, I remember reading uh, something about it and it was years ago. My reaction was that this sounds like assault and battery against a child. And when that happens, you know, if you don't step in and have some sort of professional uh, mental health intervention and, you know, assistance, sure, it's easy for somebody to lose their way having experienced that. So, um, you know, is that blaming uh, somebody other than Freddie Adu for him not living up to the hype? No. But what I'm saying is that others are responsible and culpable. Um, but it's not all a sad story because Freddie Adu, he'll say it himself. You know, when he came to the United States from, uh, from Ghana, his mother was cleaning people's houses for a living. Right. Freddie Adu bought his mother a house when he was 14. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Adu's younger brother, Fro, attended Georgetown University. It's a very That's expensive awesome. and prestigious <laughs> school who paid for Freddie Adu's brother to go to Georgetown University. Freddie Adu. So... Right. I'm not sitting here and crying for him. Uh, he has a lot to be proud of. And here we are all these years later, still talking about him and right. still writing about him. Yeah. The, uh, very well said, Marcus. Thank you. Um, 
The only thing I'd add, and I don't know if you're going to agree, is when I look at when I look at DC United, uh, you know, it's 2004. Uh, this is the biggest player to come to MLS, or like just kind of like the, the biggest story that MLS has pretty much had to date um, when he arrived, and it was completely overhyped, of course, but uh, it's just kind of like. I, I would just venture to say if if DC United were to bring a 14-year-old into their first team in 2020, the focus on that player's actual development as a soccer player would be so much better today. Yes. And, like, it's just – the MLS wasn't at that stage yet of uh, really being focused on – development of young soccer players and kind of being realistic with itself about where it falls on the world stage of soccer leagues. Um, and, you know, you could probably say there's, there's players as talented as Freddie Adu in various MLS systems, or maybe not as talented, but because of the development going on, you know, with MLS teams are just reaching new heights. Um, and then, turning 18 and going to the Bundesliga or wherever after um, – To uh, Benfica in Portugal. Yeah, and, like, that that's honestly surprising a little bit that Benfica didn't kind of handle things maybe a little bit better. You used to, they put him on loan four years in a row. I don't know what – you know, we're not managers or, or uh, sporting directors, but um, I think maybe Freddie Adu was hoping for better from Benfica as well. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, you're right that, like, he has a lot to be proud of, especially given the pressure and situation he was just thrust into as, you know, from Ghana, living in America now, suddenly just the biggest story in sports, um, you know, I, he, and he's handled it so well. Like, you never hear anything really bad about Freddie Adu. Oh. He's, he's, just a, he's just making it, doing the best he can. Um, so that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to Grant Wall's uh, feature on him, too. That's going to be great. But, Marcus, we're running, we're running late. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, so let's get to our matches of the weekend. I'll start. I'm very excited for Inter Milan versus AC Milan, the Milan Derby. It's noon, east, noon Eastern time on Saturday. Um, the reason I am excited for this is it's the return of Zlatan, who was – uh, fighting, um, you know, cor coronavirus finally gave up on Zlatan and, and moved on uh, to Ronaldo, I guess. But uh, he'll be coming back, and I'm just looking out for some, you know, ridiculous quote from him uh, either before or after, or perhaps during the game. And uh, it's always fun when Inter and AC face off. So that's what I'm looking for this weekend. How about you? Uh, going to go with Arsenal again. <laughs> yes, that's what I do. Uh, they're taking on, uh, they're going to visit Man City on Saturday, 12.30 uh, p.m. Eastern time on Big NBC. Uh, big litmus test for uh, Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, going up against uh, Pep Guardiola, his former boss, who uh, took him from Arsenal to be his assistant. Now Arteta is at Arsenal. He's got Guardiola's secrets. Uh, he's done... He's done okay against them so far. Uh, won the uh, FA Cup. I think that was a semifinal. I, uh, yeah, I'm excited for this one. That's my game of the week. 
All right. Well, Marcus, thanks for joining me today, and welcome back um, from you. your from your staycation. Uh, to the listeners, thank you for joining us, and please continue to join us by following us, subscribing to us, downloading our podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Just search Nesson Soccer Podcast. You can also find us at nesson.com slash podcast uh, where you can uh, you know, find all the information I just gave to you and, and make it easy to like and comment and let us know how we're doing. Um, all right, Marcus, you know, enjoy the Arsenal game, and uh, I look forward to talking to you next week. Turn up the rebel radio. Wise, you must have been. Turn up the rebel radio.